I'm going to teach a little bit about it on your favorite friend, Judas Iscariot. Have you ever heard of him before? Okay, now I don't want all of you to get up and leave thinking I'm preaching at you. All right? I'm preaching the Word of God. I didn't have any of you in mind when I put this together. God gave it to me, and I took it as that. In Mark, the third chapter, if you'll turn there, we're going to read a scripture in starting the message. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, thankful for how good you are to your people. We trust you, Lord, in every avenue of our life. We ask, Lord, that you'll even take charge of this uh, unnecessary, as we see it, a war that's taking place in Europe, that, Father, you would have your hand on those people that uh, can do things about it, that they would do it and stop it if that's what it takes, or, uh, Lord, however you want to work it out, you see fit, we ask, Lord, that you would just have your way. But for this service, let's put our minds and hearts together with yours and understand that, Father, the things that are in your Word of God are important, and we need to take heed to them. So bless this hour, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. And just so I... Don't uh, mislead you just because I said bless this hour doesn't mean I'm going to be done in an hour. <laughs> All right. But anyway, um, when we're thinking about Jesus fulfilling his Father's will in the establishment of what we would call today, 2,000 years later, the plan of salvation that hinges on Jesus Christ alone. There's no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. Amen? So uh, we need to understand that. We need to uh, come to the acknowledgement and belief that God has an independent plan of salvation just for each one of us. Each one of us can walk with God independently in his life. Amen? In Mark, the third chapter, verse 13, I want to introduce you to Judas Iscariot the same way the Scriptures does. Now, here in this this particular text, we have to understand, Jesus had just chosen 12 people to be his disciples during his earthly ministry. This is right at the very beginning. And here's what Mark said about it. As Well, you can read the other names starting earlier in, the, in this chapter, but I'm just reading about Judas now. The last one he names, 19, says, And Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into an house. So here he's listing the 12. And when he introduces us, if you would, for the first time to Judas Iscariot, he put a side margin and said, he's the one that betrayed us. Huh. Or he betrayed Christ. Let's say it that way. Not us. He's the one that betrayed him. Now, he has, if you would, I'd look at it from a historical perspective point, when he introduces him here in this chapter, it's three years down the road before he betrays him. Right? Everybody follow me? Alright, so why did he put it in now? Well, this record or this history is written after the betrayal, and in, in writing it, the Holy Spirit or Mark uh, come together here and get it to where it should be. So, the life that Jesus introduced to the world as he lived his life here for 33 years as a man was very different in character than any other that preceded him or that will come after him. Amen? His love for mankind, 
his vision for the future of all souls, his kindness in leadership, his humbleness in miracles, his passion to be replicated of his father and the role model for the world that Jesus became started, if you would, uh, in a time when this world needed everything Jesus could bring to it. Amen? So when I think about the entire picture of God's plan of salvation, and especially the sacrificial shedding of blood by the Lamb of God, you know who that was, don't you? Jesus Christ. And the people that really knew Jesus up close, how was this plan going to come to pass to get Jesus crucified without a betrayal? Think about it. If somebody hadn't betrayed him, or somebody didn't have a grudge against him, or there wasn't something going on to stand up against what Jesus was standing for, the plan of salvation could have never happened. Because Christ had to go to Calvary for that plan to be complete. And he didn't go to Calvary till after he was betrayed. Let's look at it. I've read the entire book. I've read the whole story, and I've often wondered, how could have this worked without a betrayal? Well, without a friend leading the charge to the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the people would have rose up, led by the disciples, to fight and stop that sacrificial process. Had they just in Jerusalem one day decided, we've heard enough of you, Jesus, arrested him, put him in stocks, nailed him to a cross or whatever, or tried to run, if you would, the mockery of a trial that had no relevance whatsoever of truth in it, the disciples would have stood up and fought it. Would they not? What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when they first got there? Peter tried to lead the charge. He pulled out a sword and cut off Malchus's ear. And Jesus said, no, no, you got it all wrong, Peter. Put your sword away. And then he touched his ear and healed him. Amen? But now if there hadn't been a betrayal in Judas bringing those people to the garden, or they'd have tried to do it in the temple, it's many a times it says they tried to get a hold of Jesus, but they didn't because they feared the people. You can read that over and over in the Gospels throughout. They were afraid of the people because if the people would have uprose against them, that might have been World War one and a half. They'd have tore that place apart because they had that much respect, that much honor for Jesus, that much love and compassion for, if nothing else, the miracles that he had done in their presence. They all believed him to be something more than just a good teacher. They believed he had a better plan than what they had seen. So the very fact that our text introduces Judas Iscariot as the one that betrays Jesus is because of the historical dates that were put in as to when it was written down as it took place. 
okay? He couldn't say, oh, Judas, the one that's going to in three years betray him. No, but he's writing it from another perspective and say he is the one that betrayed him. Now, I don't believe that Jesus chose Judas Iscariot in this text with the other 12 in the third chapter or the beginning of his earthly ministry saying, aha, that's the guy I want to betray me. No, I don't believe he did that at all. And I think for three years of his earthly ministry, Judas fit right in. Amen. I think he did just as much as if you could to be the disciple he wanted to be. But I do believe that Judas made some choices and some very bad choices along the way that uh, in his mind drove him eventually to be the one to betray Jesus Christ. Actually, in the beginning of his uh, discipleship, uh, Judas was one of just one of the other 11. He just one of the boys, one of the guys. They all were working together. You can read in Luke 10 and 1 when Jesus sent the disciples out that he sent the 70 out and he sent them as disciples. How'd he do it? Two by two. Remember that story? Well, I didn't put it down, but it, take my word for it. Write it in your notes. Luke 10 and 1, read it. Sent 70 of them out two by two. Did any of them say, wait a minute, Jesus, hold on. I'm not going with Judas. I don't mind going two by two. I want to go with Peter. I, I don't, uh, that Judas guy, I don't like him. He don't fit. He's got a bad spirit about him. No. He went two by two just like the rest of them. All 70 of them went as 35 pair. Went out, and of course you know the story as he come back. Oh, they couldn't believe how the devils had subject, and they healed, and they everything went great. And not a one of them said, you know, that Judas guy, he, he's out there trying to stab you in the back, Jesus. He's a betrayer. No, at this point or in any other point in Judas's life as a disciple, he seemed to be just another good fella amongst the good fellas. Amen. Although Judas was given the job of being the treasurer of the group. You might want to always keep your eye on the treasurer. Initially, he must have shown himself to be capable of that position. He must have been trustworthy to handle the money. He must have either been good at math or whatever you want to think, why would you choose somebody to be your treasurer if all you thought of him was, he's a betrayer, he's a thief. He'll steal everything we got. Amen? That's not who you're going to appoint as the treasurer. So why did they give him that position initially if he didn't fit the category? Huh? Wow. Yeah, you never thought of that, did you? See, I didn't see any objections when they did give him that position. Peter didn't stand. Well, now, I don't trust that guy. I don't think he should be the treasurer. Maybe you should give that to Matthew. He's a tax collector. He knows how to count money. No. Judas got the position. Amen? 
The scripture says that he carried the bag. Amen? All oh, the bag was where they kept all the money. Amen? Just like you ladies carry them great big black bags about this big. That's so you can carry all your husband's money. Amen. All right, but now some of them may have thought as an afterthought that maybe him being the one that betrayed was motivated even by the greed of him carrying the money. Sometimes you can carry other people's money or do things for other people and in greed think it's your money. Amen? You got to be careful of that. Some people think that was a factor in leading him towards the betrayal. Actually, you'll find that in uh, John 12, 1 through 8, I'm not going to go ahead and read it, but you'll find there that when he did betray him, what did he do for it? Well, how much did he get for it? 30 pieces of silver. Amen. That's quite a lot. So that's a lot of information in those verses 1 through, well, let's just turn there. John John 12. We're going to be all over the New Testament because all of them talk about this situation. And of course, uh, verses 1 through 8 is they were at the, the house of Lazarus. You know, he died. And four days later, Jesus came back and brought him back to life. And they were on their way from Lazarus' house into Jerusalem for the final Passover. And of course, it's proceeded by the triumphal entry, what we know as Palm Sunday, all that. Okay, now just drop down here. We find that uh, he was at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. And um, while Mary or Martha served a dinner, then Mary took some ointments of spikenard. It says it was very costly in verse 3. And he um, wiped his feet with the hair of her head and it filled the whole house with ointment. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that, is there? But at this point, now, we're one week ahead of the crucifixion. All right? Actually, we're one week ahead of the resurrection, to get it accurately. And so we find here that somebody does stand up and have something to say about it in verse 4. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, poor Simon, which should betray him. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Hmm. Why was it not? Now, I don't know. I know he, he betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and I know it talks about uh, 300 pence here, and I didn't take the time to big try to go back with my calculator and say what that was worth in the first century, what that's worth in 2022, because it changes all the time anyway. I don't want to say how many billions of dollars he got tricked by. I don't want to say anything about any of that uh, as far as total value. But hey, I can't even tell you what the gas is going to be at the gas station tomorrow. So it changes on a regular basis. So I didn't take time to calculate that all out and tell you how much money it takes to make somebody, if you would, a trustworthy person and to make them a betrayal person based on the amount of money. Amen? So when you go all this thing, everything just has to be relative. But I can understand that in his eyes, it was considered expensive. It was something that he thought Wow, we could have spent that money on a whole lot better thing. I drive by people's houses today. 
just driving by, in my mind, I see how much they spent on things parked in their driveway or in their yard or along the street, and I wonder, man, what are they thinking? Are they must be made of gold to, to waste their money on that? Amen? But it's not my choice. I'm not in charge of that. But everything, um, when it comes to money, seems to be relative. Amen? There are people that spend money for things that I wouldn't give them a third what they spend on it if they'd give me two of them. Amen? That's just, everybody's different. So, but here we find that in verse number six, we find out maybe some motivation about him. Of course, again, take it with a grain of salt because John is writing this after the fact, okay? And he says in verse six, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Huh. And he had the bag. And he bare what was put therein. So he had all their money. And that's kind of a, a good idea when you're traveling as a group, um, 13 of you or 12 of you are traveling everywhere together um, for one guy to handle all the money. When you go to pay your taxes, one guy just goes pays for everybody. Amen. When you go out to eat, he always at the back of the line picks up the tab. Pretty cool, huh? That's a pretty good system. Amen? Everything gets taken care of. So here we find that in uh, uh, verse 6 that he's filling in the blanks of the thought patterns of Judas at this particular time. Amen? Again, just like in uh, Mark 3.19 where we started, he was labeled as a betrayer. This thought of being a thief and questioning the care of the poor may have been John's way of filling in the gaps of what he thought as an afterthought of the true heart of the man named Judas Iscariot. Amen. Now he can probably in his mind have peace and say, I would never betray Jesus. And yet he knows a man that did and he's probably in the afterthought saying, now I know why. He's a thief. He don't care about the poor. He's covetous. Amen? Now, whether John had a true grip on Judas's motive at the time or not, Jesus did. You can't fool Jesus. Amen? How do I know that? Well, verse 7 and 8, Jesus has a way of speaking that settles the issue and the person that needs that answer gets it, even though the others around it, because they have a different heart and a different motive, it just goes by them just like, whoosh, and they don't get it. That's why in verse 7, Jesus said, let her alone. Talking to Mary. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the, the poor always ye shall have with you, but me, you will not all, ye have not always. In other words, my days are numbered. As a matter of fact, from this point, he's only got six more. How about that? And so we find that um, in him settling this, Jesus was reading his heart, his motive, letting him know you're not getting away with anything. I understand. But the other disciples, they probably just... Uh, didn't understand at all. It seems that 
at the time, no one else had a clue as to the weakness of the heart of Judas Iscariot and the weakness he had in money controlling him. But just like 1 Timothy 6 and 10 tells us, for the love of money is the root of all evil. While some have coveted after, they veered from the truth, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now I know when Paul wrote that, he may even had Judas Iscariot on his mind. You know, some people say things about, um, if I just mentioned, you know ain't good liars, there's people that'll come to your mind. I don't know them, but you know them because of how? Because they lied to you. You know any good thieves? Well, you know, you've got somebody that pops in your mind. Why? Because they met them thieves, or they knew of those thieves. So when Paul's writing that to Timothy in 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, I'm, I don't know, but what he's talking about, how the rich are falling in their, their steps and walking with God, and it probably popped in his mind. You know what? That might have been part of Judas's problem. Amen? So, uh, again, just go, follow in the, the Word of God what he's thinking about and what he's going through. In Matthew, the 25th chapter, back to Matthew. We're going to see the next step coming down the pike for Judas Iscariot, starting in verse 20. That, that's wrong scripture. Mm -hmm. I got the wrong chapter there. Da, da, da. I, even I mess up, don't I? All the time, seems like. Doo, doo. Well, let me find it. It's not 25, it must be 26. Doo, doo. 26, sorry. Did you have 25 too, Mike? Put it in 26 now. 26, 20. All right. Well, anyway, this is in the upper room, if you would. And now it's coming to evening time. This is at the Passover meal. This is uh, four days later than what we just read. All right. It appears at this point, no one but Jesus is aware of this betrayal. Because when he says in verse 20, it was evening come, and they sat down with the twelve, and as they did eat, Jesus said this. Verily, you know what that means. Pay attention. I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Huh. What do you think the twelve started doing? Hmm. One, two, three, four. Who is it this time? Okay, you just don't know. But in verse 22, And they were exceedingly sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? That includes Peter, John, James, all of them. It says they all did. Is it I? Including, it gets down to, and I'll show you here, even gets down to Judas. Amen. Every one of them wanted to know, am I the betrayal one? Is that part of my future? All right, but it, 
the, the answers come in verse 23. And he said unto them, and he answered and said, He that dips his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. Oh, does that settle it? That don't settle nothing. You know why? They all put their hand in the dish. Amen. If you ate dinner, you had to put your hand in the dish. That's how you got your share. Amen. But verse 23 says, The Son of Man goeth as is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. At this point, they are still not aware of what's going on. So uh, to say that the dip of the dish did it, nope. But they, because they all did that. Now in verse 25, then Judas which betrayed him, of course, you got to remember, they're writing this as an afterthought, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said, Thou hast said. But he probably, as we read this, think he's only talking to Judas. But he could have just said, We'll see. It's going to play out. Thou hast said, because every one of them said, is it I? Amen. Now, was this a cover-up for what he's doing in his heart? Did Judas say, just like the other 12, is it me, Lord? As if he didn't know. Amen. That's how a lot of people, they play dumb way too much just to see how you're going to react. Amen. So here we have Judas saying, is it I? Or... Is this just a question of him being self-deceived and getting a deal with the chief chief priest is not really a betrayal? I'm not betraying Jesus. I'm just making a good deal with the chief priest. Thirty pieces of silver? I can't pass that deal up, man. You know what that's going to do for my tax return next year? Wow. For him, it may have just been a smart business deal. After all, look at verse 14 in chapter 26. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will you give me, and I'll deliver him unto you? And they coveted with him for thirty pieces of silver. What a great deal I just made. Well, I don't think so when you speak of it spiritually, but if you're just looking at a monetary deal, um, what's a few minutes to say that's the one for 30 pieces of silver? Wow, I'll take that. That's a pretty good deal. Well, roll over with me to John 13th chapter. In John 13... This is after the meal. Well, this is actually before the meal, but it's the hour of the meal, if you would. Uh, verse 2 says, And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, or Simon's son, to betray him. Now, I can't say that Judas had any thoughts of betraying Christ at all until this verse. When the devil put it right in his heart 
sitting at the dinner table with Jesus and the other 12. And actually, there was even more than the 12 there. But we know that many. All right? This is the same meal that we read about in the 26th chapter of Matthew. Here it makes it clear that the devils put it in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. I got to tell you, once you give your heart to the devil, your behavior is going to follow. Again, I really don't think Judas Iscariot can visualize how bad this, church, this betrayal really was going to be or how it was all going to end up in his life at this particular point. I don't know if he had a grip on that mentally or not. I think sometimes people get blinded by dollar signs instead of reality. It happens to a lot of people. Amen? And there's been times, I have to admit, I thought it was going to be a great deal. Amen? Until I saw where it was going to end up. Amen? I've had a lot of job opportunities. I could have done better dollar signs, but I didn't want that job because it wouldn't have been good for me, my family, or other things in my life. Amen? Did you know that they were hiring at that, what, I forget the place, what's that down there where the Longview Hospital on 75, across the road from it, where the whiskey is? You know what I'm talking about? Seagram's. Did you know they were hiring a guy who was going to get me a job there? I don't need a job at Seagram's. I don't care if they're paying a million dollars a week. Amen. I don't want that kind of job. I don't need that influence in my life. I didn't need that kind of a betrayal to my soul. Amen? So it seems that Judas at this meal is pretty comfortable. Amen? If you feed him, yeah, they're there. He's as comfortable as the other 12. Of course, none of the other 12 know what's going on. So he's sitting there. He not only enjoyed the meal, he not only dipped into the sop with Jesus. You know what the sop is? It's like a gravy or an applesauce or some kind of blended up, something that's been through a blender. They did it by crushing it. And then you took bread and you break the bread and just dip in it. And that's your knife, fork, and spoon. You dip down in the dish and eat it. Amen? It's the way I do biscuits and gravy. But here, he's comfortable with the meal. He sticks around and is comfortable with Jesus washing his feet in this 13th chapter. Huh. What do you think of that? So, and even Jesus, when he keeps pushing him to finish his betrayal, he started, but without letting the disciples in on what's behind the scene. Remember, Jesus said in John 13, 26 and 27, it's the one that I dipped the sop with. Amen. Jesus dipped it with everybody. Judas just looked at it as another appetizer. He was just enjoying the meal. Until, verse 26 and 27, he says that when he has dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas, and after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said unto him, That thou doest, 
do quickly. In other words, now, did anybody else know what he's doing? Whatever you're doing, Judas, hurry up and get it done. Why was he in a hurry? I wonder why he wanted it done quickly. Huh. You want to know why? Jesus only got three more days, and he's got to spend most of them in, in a tomb. Huh. He's got to get crucified. He's got to get betrayed, go before a trial, be buried for three days, and be back on his feet again by Sunday. Well, you better hurry up, Judas, if we can get this done by Sunday. I don't have much time. Well, the rest of the crew didn't know what he was talking about, to do it and do it quickly. Amen? And yet Jesus still did it in such a way that the others didn't have a clue what was happening right in front of them. Look at verse 28 there. Now no man at the table knew what intent he spake this unto him. They didn't know what was going on. Probably one of the things, had they known it, the 11 of them would have jumped up and thrown the sop at him and hindered him from going to visit with the chief priests, stopped him, would have done anything. But no, that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was for all this to come to pass. Amen. Verse 29, for some of them thought it was because Judas had the bag. He's a treasurer. But Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that are needful against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And having received the sop, went out immediately, went immediately out, and it was night. I don't know why he said it was night. Who was it night for? Well, that don't mean the sun's done gone down. That means, Judas, this is it. This is the final straw in your plan. Amen? So when, G when Judas Iscariot has gone his way and Jesus takes the disciples to Gethsemane to get some shut-eye, Judas Iscariot needs to go to the chief priests who have a garrison of soldiers to go with him to arrest Jesus, but they don't know who Jesus is. Now, the chief priests would have known him. They ain't going out and get their hands dirty. They're not going to go out and get in a ruckus. Oh, they're way too spiritual for that. We'll send our minions the Roman guards. We'll send them out, and they'll make sure he comes back. Amen? But how are they going to know? Roman guards didn't know Jesus very well. They may have brushed shoulders with him in the temple. They may even heard some stories about him, but probably didn't put a whole lot of time in studying under him or listening to him when he spoke in the temple. Amen? After all, the Roman soldiers were around the temple and not in it. So they had to know, who are we going to arrest? We need to have a sign. So they agreed that they'd do it with a kiss. Matthew 26. Dun -dun -dun. Hopefully I got the right chapter this time, Mike. I think I do. We'll see. Matthew 26, verse 47. 
And while he yet spake, Judas, one of the twelve, now this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, pray that everything's going to work out the way God wants it to. And while he did that, uh, Judas, one of the twelve, came with him in a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Chief priests and the elders of the people didn't show up. They sent people with swords and staves to go do their dirty work for them. Amen. Now what happened? Now he that uh, betrayed him gave them a sign saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. I don't know if you would consider that a very romantic kiss. That was a sign given to the soldiers to get in action. Put it in gear. You've got a job to do now, and now you know to whom you have to go after. Amen? So when he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, that was a title of respect. He could not have given Jesus a higher compliment. And a kiss. Why, that's as welcoming as a fist bump today. Or a handshake. Man, we're friends. We're buds. Uh-huh. Those both were, if you would, actions that would have been taken as respect for the person that you're dealing with at that time. Even with all the respect Jesus has, or Judas has for Jesus, in the three-year relationship with him and the disciples, having the devil in his heart trumps all that respect and honor for a friend. You can be nice to people your whole life, betray them once, and they won't forget it. Amen. Actually, Jesus turned to him and said, Hey, friend, what's going on? Huh. Jesus knew. Amen. Once the betrayal took place, the respect from someone in your or my life only comes to the place of recourse of repentance. But don't think repentance is going to go back to those that were in the party of crime because they're only going to mock you into deeper guilt and condemnation. You see, he felt bad about it once he realized he had betrayed Christ. I don't think he really realized how bad that kiss and hail master hurt the heart of Christ at that time in the garden. Now, what could he have done? Well, the scripture says in Matthew 27, uh, verse 3 through 5, And Judas, which betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. I am so sorry I done that. Amen? So what did he do? He, he brought back again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Now, you see, he can, had a covenant with them for the money 
to do a dastardly deed. Now once the deed's done, they don't want the money back. They paid for the deed and they got their money's worth. Amen. They said to him, hey, nothing, we got nothing to do with that. You see, when you repent of something, don't repent to the people that caused you to do the problem. Don't ask them to forgive you and take your money back. He needed to go to Christ, and he didn't. Where did he go? And saying, I've sinned, and I betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to it. And he cast down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. You know, he could have got repentance for what he did. He could have asked Jesus to forgive him. I know that the same period of time what's taking place here as he's dealing with the chief priests and all them here, Peter's on the other side of the street denying Christ three times. And then when the rooster stands up, starts crowing, he goes, oh, what have I done? And he repented to the right person. He didn't repent to the little lady that was warming her hands around the fire. He repented to Christ. I am so sorry I denied you. Amen. I, I got to make this right. Now we can learn some lessons from that. Amen. We need to make sure at this point to go to the one that really understands the whole story of the betrayal. Judas should have went to Jesus. The disciples didn't know anything about it other than what they seen in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not to the one that caused your guilt. If you don't do it correctly, you're committing spiritual suicide. He went out and hung himself. He committed physical suicide as well as spiritual suicide. Amen? All because he didn't go about it in the right way. Now, I can tell you, in the scriptures, the Bible says there's only one sin that cannot be forgiven, and it's not betrayal. It's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that one sin is when you refuse to ask for forgiveness. That's the only sin you can't be forgiven of. If you don't ask, yeah, I'm not going to be forgiven. Amen. Have people been forgiven of murder? Sure. How about stealing? Huh? How about lying? Hello? Maybe even betrayal. Yeah. But if you don't ask and you go out and hang yourself, you won't be forgiven. Amen? You have to ask. Now, I do believe that if Judas Iscariot could have been forgiven if he'd have went to Jesus for the forgiveness rather than going to the chief priests. Amen? Now, you have to also understand under Old Testament law, which they were still bound by, the only person they thought in their day and time that could forgive sins was the chief priest. So he went to them and asked forgiveness. Amen. They should have told him, if you just offer a lamb and, a, and two turtle doves and 
just do whatever you think's right. From then on, everything's going to be fine. Well, they can't forgive sin either. It has to be done through the Holy Spirit's calling, through the blood of Jesus Christ. But once you've taken the devil's option and leave this world without forgiveness, your fate is sealed for eternity. There's no changing it. It should be our ever given opportunity to make sure we get the forgiveness Christ came to this world for us to have and make sure daily we check out our act make sure we keep the slate clean on a constant basis between your heart and the heart of God. Otherwise, you'll end up in the same place as the person that betrayed Jesus Christ. If you're not right with God, it's as if you betrayed him. And nobody wants that on their conscience because we see how bad that can bring guilt and a bad conscience through the life of Judas Iscariot. Amen? Now, that was part of, if you want to call it part of God's plan, if you want to look at it any however you want to look at it, I can just tell you what the Scripture says about it. And I believe he could have got saved. Amen? You know, I have no scripture that says he could never, it was impossible for him to get saved. I can't find a scripture for that. But I know he went about it the wrong way, and that's why his destiny is sealed. We don't need that destiny. We need to make sure we're on track with God, and whatever comes, we face it and do what God wants us to do, that we will be a child of God and not a betrayer of Jesus Christ. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.